Okay, so it is a miracle that I'm here because this lesson is so horrible. <laughs> let's, just, let's just say what it is. Let's just go ahead and face it right up front. Um, I told my husband's morning I was up trying to just tell him about the study, and it just, I feel so um, un, unworthy to even talk about God after this lesson, much less get up and, and talk about it. And I told him I had this sense of just wanting to be still until I'm in heaven. Like, don't screw up. Don't do anything. <laughs> and just be still. And he was so right. He goes, but it just seems like God's always telling us to live out of love, you know, and I thought about the parable of the talents where they, the guy was just scared. Now I get it. He's wanting to bury the talents because he was so scared. And so I don't want us to leave this lesson scared, but we are going to talk about some scary things. And I think it's really good and really needed. It was, I needed a check, to be honest. I needed a check in that how am I even looking at my life and what I choose to do and say and act and just my laissez-faire to sin. And so this, this is a heavy lesson and there are things in here I am not going to make you feel better about. I am not going to make you feel better about a family dying because of one man's sin. I'm not going to make you feel better about it. And I wish I could because I wish I felt better about it. But we are going to look at God's Word and we're going to trust our loving, holy God with it. And we're going to see what He says, not what we want Him to be saying. So, those are our parameters. But the title, I also told my husband the title of this talk, and he went, what? <laughs> is God a bad guy? Because that's what we're kind of wondering. This does not make sense to us about what we know about God. So, let's start off in the Bible. Let's read Joshua 7 the first nine verses to start off with, okay? So we're coming straight off that battle of Jericho. They're on a high. They've just, they've just seen God at work. They, all they had to do was march and shout, and the walls came tumbling down. And so they've got the next city in their sights. And um, let's start reading. But the children of Israel committed a, tre- a tre- trespass regarding the accursed things. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed things. So the anger of the Lord burned against the children of Israel. Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is beside beth on the east side of Bethel, and spoke to them, saying, Go up and spy out the country. So the men went up and spied out Ai. And they returned to Joshua and said to him, Do not let all the people go up. For let about two or three thousand men go up and attack Ai. Do not weary all the people there, for the people of Ai are few. So about three thousand men went up there from the people, but they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai struck down about thirty-six men, for they chased them before the gate as far as Cherubim, and struck them down on the descent. Therefore the hearts of the people melted and became like water." Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until evening, he and the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us? Oh, that we had been content and dwelt on the other side of the Jordan. O Lord, what shall I say when Israel turns its back before its enemies? 
for the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear it and surround us and cut off our name from the earth. Then what will you do for your great name? So the Lord said to Joshua, get up. Why do you lie thus on your face? Okay. Woo. So what has happened? First of all, they have gone on to the next city. Honestly, I want us to remember that in God's mercy, there's mercy going on in the backdrop of what's happening. They only sent 3,000. Only, quote, 36 died. It could have been a lot worse. It could have been a whole lot worse. But it took them by surprise because they're like, what? Can you imagine going from Jericho High to this? I mean, it'd be like us going up against Denton and Denton slaughtering Fort Worth. You know, you're like, what? They're little compared to us. You know, it was just, it was just like, what happened? And it took them by surprise because Jericho had seemed to be such a cakewalk. And the big question is, where's God? I thought God was on our side. They're vulnerable to all the people that are surrounding them. If they hear about this, it's going to go against what they've been hearing. The Red Sea God, the Jordan God, the Jericho God is gone. The magic has left this little band of people. How are they supposed to be successful without God? And almost this sense of silence from God instead of God telling them what to do. And we see Joshua's prayer and we see his perspective. In a way, y'all, this is a great prayer. He's going to the source. He's like, he's not going, why God? He's like, what is going on, God? What is going on? Why did you bring us here just to leave us now? And what do I say as a leader when we're losing? And what are the other countries going to do? And what about your great name? He had learned to pray this from Moses, I bet. Because this is exactly what Moses prayed when God got mad at the people in the desert. And what's interesting is that was Joshua's perspective and it was wrong. We get God's perspective in that verse 10. What a shocker. Can you imagine praying to God and God's response is, Get up. Why are you on your face? There's sin in your midst. Go take care of it. So what I find so fascinating, and this is exactly how I do, I assume God has changed. I assume God has, what, what have you done, God? You're not being consistent. What, I thought you loved me. I thought you could provide anything for me. I thought you controlled the world. And God says, uh, let me share my perspective on the situation. You've sinned. You got trouble in your house. What go go look? My feelings are hurt. You have broken the covenant that I made with you. It is like God has been slapped, like a man who has cheated, like like God is slapping them, like a woman who has cheated been cheated on. He it is like something has happened, and we are not right. We are not okay. Our relationship is broken. The logical answer is not that God had turned his back on them. The logical answer is that they have turned their backs on him. And they are the enemy now. Not just Achan, not just the one person, the whole group. And the language that is interesting, it says that their hearts melted. 
which is the same language in uh, chapter 211 about the citizens of Jericho, and it is the same language in chapter 5, verse 1, when it talks about all the kings in Canaan. Their hearts were melted because they were on the wrong side of God. And now Israel is on the wrong side of God, and they had the same reaction. Their hearts melted. So, this is a wake-up call. This is a slap across the face. This is like something bad you have done. It's time to wake up and we need to talk. So where is God? God is there, but he is distant and he is upset and there is some trouble in paradise. So the second point is Valley of Trouble, which is what this area was named, Valley of Achor, which means trouble. And this is what we're going to talk about, what happens, what God says you must do to fix the relationship. And why is it so serious? And why is it so harsh? Because God is so holy. God is so holy. He can't help it. He is holy. It's his character. It's who he is. If God, I mean, it just is who he is. I can't even explain it because I can't even say he was made that way because he is before making. He is, he is self-perpetuating. He is who he is and he's holy. He's holy. And so anything that is not holy, that is wrong, that is sin, is so serious. But this does seem to be an object lesson for the people of Israel and therefore for us too. Let's look at this pattern of sin. Um, Let's read ahead to what Achan says he did. Let's pick up in verse 11. Israel has sinned, and they have also transgressed my covenant which I commanded them. For they have even taken some of the accursed things, and have both stolen and deceived, and they have also put it among their own stuff. Therefore the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies, but turned their backs before their enemies because they have become doomed to destruction. Neither will I be with you any more unless you destroy the accursed from among you. Get up, sanctify the people, and say, Sanctify yourselves for tomorrow because thus says the Lord God of Israel, There is an accursed thing in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the accursed thing from among you. In the morning, therefore, You shall be brought according to your tribes, and it shall be that the tribe which the Lord takes shall come according to families, and the family which the Lord shall take come by households, and the household which the Lord takes shall come man by man. Then it shall be that he who is taken with the accursed thing shall be burned with fire, he and all that he has, because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord, and because he has done a disgraceful thing to Israel." So Joshua rose early in the morning and brought Israel by their tribes, and the tribe of Judah was taken. He brought the clan of Judah, and he took the family of the Zarites, and he brought the family of the Zarites man by man, and Zabdi was taken. Then he brought out his household man by man, and Achan the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, was taken. Now Joshua said to Achan, My son, I beg you, give give glory to the Lord God of Israel, and make confession to him. And tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. And Achan answered Joshua and said, Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I have done. 
when I saw among the spoils a beautiful Babylonian garment, 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and took them. And there they are, hidden in the earth in the midst of my tent with the silver underneath it. So Joshua sent messengers and they ran to the tent and there it was hidden in his tent with the silver under it. And they took them from the midst of the tent, brought them to Joshua and to all the children of Israel and laid them out before the Lord. Then Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan the son of Zerah, the silver, the garment, the weight of gold, his sons, his daughters, his oxen, his donkeys, his sheep, his tent, and all that he had. And they brought them to the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, Why have you troubled us? The Lord will trouble you this day. So all Israel stoned him with stones, and they burned them with fire after they had stoned them with stones. Then they raised over him a great heap of stones still there to this day. So the Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger. Therefore, the name of that place has been called the Valley of Acre to this day. So the pattern we see that Achan did is very much like what Eve did in the garden. She saw the fruit and she took it. He says, I saw the stuff. I saw it. It's a sawing like a seeing, like a covetousness, a seeing, seeing not just, oh, look, there's a great look of robe. No, it's a little bit more serious than that. And then he took it. He couldn't help himself. Now, we have to understand, this would be like you and me walking in and going, I mean, well, first of all, if I saw a wedge of gold, I'd be tempted. You know, <laughs> that any culture demands attention. This Babylonian garment, it'd be like your favorite Vera Wang dress with gold and beads and diamonds. It'd be like Queen Elizabeth garb. It would be like something Lady Di wore. I mean, it just, it was a big deal. It was probably found in the prince's house. Like a Babylonian garment there was fancy stuff. And can you imagine a son of a slave seeing that stuff and he just couldn't obey. He couldn't, he couldn't trust God that he was enough. But he took something. And then the irony is, did he prance around wearing the coat? No, it's buried. It's like, who's going to wear it? It's like, why somebody steals a Monet? Because you can't show it to anybody. Because everybody knows it's stolen. You know, it's just dumb. Which is so sin, right? It's so sin. Um, so we've defined the sin. It was covenant infidelity. It was similar to marital, marital language, what God says. This is personal to God. And we see sin in such a laissez-faire way today that we don't get how God sees it. He sees it very personally that we have broken a covenant with him. Um, let's look at, let's see, verse 13 says you cannot stand before your enemies until you take this cursed thing from among you this was so serious i'm just going to really briefly turn to matthew 5 verses 29 and 30 in case you think this is just an old testament issue um it's not matthew 5 verse 29 this is jesus talking if your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you 
that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. Jesus is saying, look, sin is a doozy. This is serious stuff we're talking about. It is better to never watch that TV show than to lust after what's his name. It is better to not join that club if you're not going to be able to handle coveting what people with more money have. It's just, it's better for you. It's not worth it. All the things that we struggle with as women in Fort Worth, Texas, think about the choices. Think about what you are choosing and will it make you prone to holiness or prone to sin? But also we not only have the sin defined, but we define the sinners. It's not just Achan. It's not even just his family. It's the whole country. It's the whole people. This one sin impacts the whole place. Just like Rahab's faith impacted her family that hid with her and waited on the rescue, we see Achan's one decision out of not having faith impact his whole family. Now, this may make you feel better. It's not necessarily true. I'm not sure. There's a chance this could be what's happening, which makes me feel a little better about the sons and daughters getting killed. Um, that there's a law in Deuteronomy that says the children will not pay for the sins of the fathers. Um, and there's some sense of were his sons and daughters complicit? Were they complicit in hiding it? I mean, I don't know how you get a wedge of gold, all the shekels of silver and the gorgeous robe by yourself. I don't know. And that's just one theory that I read about. But it also could be a theory to make us feel better. And why is that? Because we just can't handle that God is this holy. Like, I can't even think about their family dog. Like, isn't that crazy? I mean, I'm just going, this is bad. This is bad stuff. It impacts a whole community. Not just his family died. 36 people in the war, the battle against I, died. And... This whole enterprise, the whole enterprise of them taking over the promised land is in jeopardy because of his sin. Um, 1 Corinthians 5, 6 through 8. Your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast so that you may be a new unleavened batch as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival not with the old bread leavened with malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. This is again, New Testament saying one little bit spoils the whole batch. And honestly, as an American, you may buck against that. And I get it because part of me is like, that's not fair. But think about it. Think about it. We had really good illustrations of how the group pays for one in our small group discussion this morning, like if one person, like I'll never forget the day, it was great drama in junior high in Oxford Middle School when there was a food fight that the sixth graders had, but the seventh graders were not, I guess they had participated. For some reason, they did not get to go to field day. There, was, there were protests. My son wrote a letter to the principal in which PS, Power to the People, was written. <laughs> We got that letter back from the principal, I guess. Um, there were, you know, it's, it's that, it's really not as strange as we want to. We want to go, that's not fair, therefore that can't happen to me. 
and I hate to tell you this, but it's happening. God has judged us already because of our original sin. We are all born sinners. His, if his, this is horrible to say, and no one will come back to Bible study next week. If his daughters and sons were toddlers, they deserved it. They deserved it because they were born in sin. They inherited Adam's sin. That is called judgment. And each person of us is spoiled from the day we enter the world. Spoiled. And that is not what, that's not what I would want the Bible to say. Because it's hard to say it and it doesn't feel fair. But it's the world we're born into because of Adam and Eve. And it happened before we got here. And we have inherited this sin and this judgment over our head. And we can earn it, but we've already gotten it. It's just the severity of it is different, maybe. So, there we go. That's what sin feels like. That that thing that's making you want to throw up, that's what sin feels like. That's what judgment and impending doom feels like. And I want to ask you, like one of the commentators asked that I've read, what's your garment? What's your wedge of gold and your thing of silver you're hiding in your tent? Because you think just you, just you and your own self is affected by that struggle with pornography, by that shame of just choice gossip that you just love to talk about. Uh, about that show or that book you just cannot put down. The pills you can't stop taking. The drinking. The, the shopping. The whatever it is. Whatever it is that is your thing. It does not just affect you. It affects all of us. It affects your family. It affects your people. It affects your church. But this is when, boy, am I glad for Hosea. And I'm telling you, you all got to turn to Hosea right now. Hosea is one of those little bitty chapters in your Bible that nobody, well, unless you're a Francine Rivers fan and you read that book, Redeeming Love, then you know where Hosea is. Hosea is kind of one of those little prophets. It'll take me a while to find it. (laughs) So hold on. I should have had a bookmark, but I get that in uh, my other Haggai confused. Okay, Habakkuk, yeah. I mean, Habakkuk. Did I say Hosea? Yeah, Habakkuk. See? Y'all, I have to say, I'm going to claim it. I moved this week, so my brain is not right. No, wait. It is Hosea. Gosh. (laughs) See? I told you. Hosea is a book of the Bible. Gosh. Y'all, somebody get a new teacher up here. Okay. Hosea 2. You got to read this to know that it's in the Bible because it's so fun. It really turns this lesson around. <laughs> okay, so setting for Hosea, God's people are, this is fast forward on the Bible timeline. They're still at it, except it's worse. They have fallen in love with other gods. Hosea literally had to marry a prostitute as a prophet to show how God felt about their sin. Again, marital infidelity. And as women, we can whether we've done it or our husbands have done it or we know people have lived through it it is really hard it is really hard and so god uses this picture for, to tell us how he feels about sin 
And then he goes and says this in chapter 2, verse 14. Therefore, behold, I will allure her, bring her into the wilderness and speak comfort to her. I will give her vineyard from there and the valley of Achor as a door of hope. She shall sing there. Golly, y'all. The valley of trouble where the stoning happened. It says, I'm going to turn it into a door of hope. A door of hope. Do you see how God is flipping the narrative instead of being a place of judgment? Now we're going to have a place of grace and mercy and hope. Okay, here's a great quote by Tim Challies. A lot of times in our Friday email, you'll see a blog from him. If there is no hell, there is no need for a cross. The cross shows us the depth of our sin and the height of God's holiness, the purity of God's wrath and the greatness of God's mercy. The cross assures us that hell exists. The cross demands that we look to the one hanging there and put all our faith, all our hope, all our trust in him. So you see, God, right now we're so focused on the stoning that we haven't realized that God provided a way for them to be friends and to be married again. He provided a way that they didn't have to come up with on their own. Can you imagine what they would have come up with to get back on God's good side? Do you know what the other people around them had been doing to get on their God's good side? Child sacrifice, things like that. Can you imagine what they would have come up with to, to please God? Like, please be on our side again, God. God in his mercy said, I'll tell you exactly what to do. You've got to get rid of that sin. And they did it. And God was merciful. And he did not leave them in that desert to be attacked by the Canaanites. He offered them a way out of being an enemy to be back children of God. He repaired that relationship. God was merciful and did not leave them there. He told them to destroy the stolen items and all that Achan had, including his family and his animals. And in destroying this one family, a whole nation was saved. And he does that for us today. He saves us. He saves us through one man, though. A man who went through trouble, who was on the cross dying a shameful death. And all of that feeling we had a few minutes ago of all the sin and the fear and the horror got piled on his chest. It got piled on him. I don't know how Jesus did it. I don't know how he did it. But he sweated drops of blood getting there. And he knew the worst thing is that God the Father would leave him would turn his back on him for our sake and the valley of trouble has become a door of hope for us let's read first peter 1 that's a, a little book in the new testament toward the end of your bible first peter 1 verses 13 through 19 therefore gird up the loins of your mind Be sober and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ as obedient children, 
not conforming yourselves to the former lusts as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. Look at what we have. Yes, yes, be sober. Yes, cut off sin hands and gouge out sin eyes and purify yourselves and be righteous but do it because of Jesus. Do it because, not because you're scared you're going to get stoned, because the stoning has happened. Jesus took the rocks for you. Jesus took the fire for you. Be like Rahab last week where you go, I want to avoid that. I want Jesus. You mean I can have a door of hope out of this mess? And what a door. What an easy door to walk through. It's called repent. I am sorry for my sins, Jesus. I need you to save me from them. And just like that one man brought sin into the world, Adam, one man offers you the hope to get out from under it. Let's pray. Lord, what a heavy lesson, one that is hard with all our fun things to do in the fall of a Fort Worth Thursday. But Lord, at the same time, You've said it is better to go to a funeral than to a wedding because we see the end of our days. Lord, this kind of lesson really makes us sober-minded to consider just the importance of obedience, but also the danger of sin, the danger of sin to us, our families, our church family, our community. Lord, thank you for Hosea's message. Thank you so much that you turn such a gross location full of fear and doom into a door of hope where all we do is follow your love. All we do is let ourselves be hugged by you to drop our sins and be just held and adopted as family. I pray that we would be like Rahab and not like Achan. In Jesus' name, amen.